Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to another week from beautiful Wisconsin. By the time you uh, listen to this, it sounds like it, uh, it's going to be heating up this weekend. Uh, but we want to wish everyone a, a good uh, Fourth of July weekend. Uh, but we have our full panel with us this week, which means Claire Zauke, our Healthcare Director, is with us. Claire, it's great to have you. Thank you. Great to see you. Great to see you. And as always, Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert, also great to see you. Greetings to our digital and our radio audience. So, listeners, uh, while we're all being very cordial and happy here to, to do our intros, um, it's uh, it's a bit of a, I'll just say, a rough morning for me. It's Thursday morning as we record, and uh, we are going to spend our time talking about the state budget which just passed yesterday uh, through the Senate and the day before through the Assembly. Um, and, you know, just it's very disappointing because this budget is um, just, a, in, in my mind, a failure of an opportunity that was before us. Um, and I want to get the panel's response. Uh, the other thing that is worth mentioning, uh, the budget passed with full Republican support, uh, but both in the Assembly and in the Senate, uh, there were a handful of uh, Democrats uh, that uh, supported the budget. Obviously, now this budget goes to Governor Evers. He has six days to sign it, veto it, or use what we know is a fairly strong, it's been weakened a little bit over uh, lately, but still a very fairly strong line item veto. Uh, six days, not including, I believe, the weekend or Sunday, I want to say, but it's going to happen in the next week. Claire, I'm going to go to you first, but uh, want to hear from both of you your initial responses to what happened uh, this week in the legislature, but also then let's get into a discussion of uh, next step and uh, what this portends. Claire, your, your thoughts on, uh, we are now to the governor's uh, desk, your thoughts on the state budget. Yeah, so uh, my for my first thoughts on the state budget are um, pretty in line with something that State Representative Christina Shelton from the um, sort of Fox Valley area out of Green Bay ha said on the floor on Tuesday evening, which is that everything that's wrong with this budget is just as much about what's not in it as what is in it. So there are uh, a number of things in here that are in the budget that I think are problematic that we'll talk about. Um, but it's also really problematic everything that the Republican legislators took out of the budget. So um, I think the, the big thing that's going to get a lot of coverage now that it's important to talk about is these uh, really regressive uh, tax cuts, uh, income tax cuts that are in the budget. And I know it's it's easy for folks to maybe be excited about something like an income tax cut because you think, oh, this means, you know, maybe I'll um, I'll get to take home a little more of my income. Um, but it's really targeted at folks who don't need that type of relief, and it's coming at the expense of our ability to fund other programs that would benefit everyone, um, whether you are low, middle, or high income. So. Um, Basically, what the legislature did is that they they brought down the um, 
the taxation rate of a single tax bracket in our income code, which means that um, every dollar you earn between about $24,000 and $263,000, right? So income that's taxed um, in, in that range. Um, but the Legislative Fiscal Bureau, which is sort of the independent financial analysis body of the legislature, showed that 74% of the total tax decreases of people who would benefit from that is going to go to people earning more than $100,000 per year. Think of that. Just about three quarters of the people who are going to benefit from this are people who are earning over six figures. I mean, it's just... It's so clearly um, just trying to buy off, um, you know, certain voters at the expense of the majority of working and middle class Wisconsinites. And furthermore, 18%, so almost one in five of the people who would benefit from this tax cut make more than $300,000 a year. It's just a transfer of wealth from working and middle class Wisconsinites to wealthy Wisconsinites. Um, and in fact, um, the Senate President Chris Kapenga is quoted in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel as saying um, that this income tax cut is a significant step towards implementing a flat tax in Wisconsin, which of course we know is a is a regressive and punitive um, sort of um, philosophy of taxation that puts an incredibly higher burden on working and middle income folks than it does on, um, on wealthy folks. Well, let me just make a quick comment on Claire's point about that tax giveaway and then go, then go further out on this. So as far as this, you know, that Republicans, the modern variant, in fact, well before they were as far right as they are now, believe in regressive tax cuts because they don't believe in our democracy. And I'm defining democracy as the things government should do for the people, like a high quality education system, like health care for every, every, every person who lives in this country, uh, et cetera. And so that was the, the trade-off here. We not only have had a K-shaped recovery from the pandemic depression, and that is a metaphor for saying that it's been great for the top 30% or so of the country, and increasingly more of the wealthier you are, and terrible for the working class, for people at, at, at the middle at 50 or below. And here we have a K-shaped tax reform and a K-shaped budget, because the tax benefits go to the people who don't need it, who are doing better on the grounds that somehow they're more, they, they deserve it more right, which is just a misunderstanding of the economy and how hard people work and how many people are trapped in low-wage employment without benefits. And it's you can trade it off straight out to health care for working-class folks, budget care expansion, education, uh, for and, and we really believe, the public believes in the state, they still do, according to all the polling in a very high-quality public education system. Polling will repeatedly show you that the public cares more would rather spend money in education than do tax cuts. It would also show you the same on healthcare. Why don't we do it? Because we have a Republican party that has insulated themselves from public opinion. That is the way they did this budget. And I'll just say before kicking it back to Claire, that the biggest problem, it's not only the seven Democrats that voted for it, and let me just point out, I don't think there'd be seven Democrats in Congress and the US Senate, and there are a lot more people there, who would vote for this kind of budget up there, 
In other words, we our Democratic Party has moved to the right of the National Democratic Party. And so we're not going to make a clear distinction here. And likely we'll get into why Governor Evers will sign it. And therefore, the public will be largely unaware how bad this budget is. And how do you hold anyone accountable? Fair maps or no fair maps. So you both need fair maps, but then you need clear dividing lines to be drawn and clear public education on exactly what these people stand for, which is not what their own constituents stand for by and large. Claire. Thanks, Robert. And I, I want to use that opportunity to transition into some hard numbers about the difference between what Republicans passed yesterday and what Governor Evers proposed, specifically related to education, which is um, sort of, Robert, something that you pointed out is something that voters and constituents really care about in general, but especially right now. And so this is the thing that the legislature should be focusing on instead. Right. So this budget, the Republican legislature's passed budget. Um, increases UW system funding by $8.25 million, so eight and a quarter million, compared to the $192 million proposed by Governor Evers. We're talking about 4% of what Governor Evers proposed. I mean, it is it is astounding how little they did. And when you folk look at K-12 funding, it's just as significant of a difference. So they passed an additional $128 million for K-12 funding, which I'll talk about in a second. It doesn't really good, isn't really gonna go to kids. Uh, $128 million uh, more than uh, the last budget for K-12 schools compared to the $1.6 billion proposed by Governor Evers. That's 8%, I think, if my back of the napkin math is right, of what Governor Evers proposed. It's really basically nothing. And then when you pair that to the fact with the fact that for K-12 education, um, that there are still these revenue caps in place that limit how much school districts can spend per child in their school systems. Basically, without that those revenue caps increasing, none of that money is going to go to kids. It's just going to go to property tax relief because it means that school districts can't spend any more money. They just lose the, they just, they just, are going to get more of their money from the state, which means that they don't have to raise as much through property taxes. So it's well, actually helping kids. Well, with that, we are going to have to go to our first break. When we come back, Robert, we're going to come right back to, we are going to keep talking about the state budget here at the battleground, Wisconsin. We've already raised two absolutely critical reasons. This budget is no good. I mean, the, it was great to start talking about the taxes because that's going to be permanent, right? That's a structural lack of revenue that's going to continue beyond just this budget. But we got to take a break. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're talking about the state budget. The budget just passed the Assembly and the State Senate. Uh, this week, uh, last night, we record Thursday morning. So Wednesday, past the Senate, it is on to the governor's uh, governor. He has six days to either sign it, veto it, or use his fairly strong line item veto. Robert, back to you for thoughts, and we'll let's keep talking. I I have a couple more things I want to hear from you, but want to get your response uh, uh, first after the break. So you go. So. The school funding disguising a property tax break because of the school funding formula and the revenue caps uh, 
It's also a regressive tax giveaway. Uh, they'll try to frame it as a fixed income senior barely staying in her house. Usually women live longer. You could help those folks. There are other targeted programs. You could create them as well, but there are targeted programs you could fund. You don't need to give a tax cut to people in McMansions, but we know that's what they want to do. And so that's what this does. And so it was a cute kind of way to capture the federal money and game the system. Uh, just incredibly both irresponsible and kind of sleazy, actually. And it's really unfortunate that probably the federal government is just going to look at how much is spent on education and not look at the actual impact, how Wisconsin has a mechanism for not spending on education, but seeming to spend it on education. But to the broader point, uh, the rigged maps, which they're working on again, insulate them from public opinion, which makes this budget possible. Just remember, it has been determined that in the infrastructure bills in the, at the federal level, the Biden administration, through a lot of polling, that it makes it more popular to tax the wealthy and corporations to pay for it. That's where the public is. Across Democrats, independents, even lots of Republicans, this has nothing to do with where the public is. And in fact, they were giving away a bunch of federal revenue, taking the over $1 billion in extra money for badger care was, no, they didn't, it was just giving revenue away. And they're trying to give away the unemployment revenue. Uh, Governor Evers is going to veto that. And the problem with Democrats is not only I don't understand voting for this budget, because they're going to say you're a socialist either way. So I don't understand how the seven get any protection, though some of them we, we're in good relationships with. So I'm looking forward to hearing what the analysis is. I fear that it's the political kind of consultant class in Madison, which is stuck in the 1990s, whispering their ear that will help them hold on to their seats. And don't, folks, don't assume that I'm like putting that on Ben Wickler, or the Dem Party. We're not that organized a party. There's a whole lot of unelected folks who are whispering in these ears. And it has nothing to do with Ben, who is a strong progressive, our state party chair. So you have that, right? But then you have the problem, as uh, one of the legislators uh, said, it might have been Gordon Hintz, that the Democrats and Governor Evers are the only grownups in the room. The Republicans have signaled they will just go with the old budget if governor vetoes it. And they've tried to lock it down so line items can't really dramatically change it, even putting some things in standalone bills so the governor can't use his line item veto effectively because they grab every piece of power. Remember that. The problem is, if Evers thinks that, which I think they probably do, Team Evers, then they think they're going to make matters worse by vetoing it, and therefore they're going to do the responsible thing and sign a bad budget. And the Republicans know that, and that's why they do such an irresponsible budget. They won't be held accountable, and the governor will be the grown-up and give away his power when they will not give out away a single piece of power. I think we need to stop the dynamic at some point. It's like the bully in the uh, schoolyard. And I think the governor, I don't think that this is the way he does politics. It's the way I would. I'm not governor, and I don't have the responsibility of the impact, so I get that. He has to make a moral decision here because he'd actually cause worse cuts to schools, potentially, or you feel he was causing that by vetoing it. But you veto it, you insist, you, you offer to negotiate, you go to a room and to negotiate with them all summer, and you make it extremely clear with the bully pulpit and a crisis throughout the summer that they are the reason this is all happening. And you set up the next elections, your reelection, and taking back legislative seats. But by making it fuzzy, it won't be remembered and these Republicans will all run and they'll all put on their lit how they're pro-education and they're helping schools and the Democrat will, challenger will try to say, no, no, they're not. And it all get muddy 
and no one will know who wants to gut public education in this state and who doesn't. Claire. Yeah, I think that's um, a pretty good note to start winding down on. So um, I will just leave you with um, a thought on two more things that sort of fit in this theme of what's bad in this budget and what's missing from this budget that I think folks will care about. Um, and the first is broadband access. So we all know that Wisconsin is behind the national average when it comes to high quality, reliable internet access um, in the state. And that there is a sizable percentage of the population that does not have steady regular access to um, that, that quality of internet service. And um, Governor Evers proposed uh, $200 million to fund broadband expansion um, and funded it entirely through existing funds, which we know we could do because there was going to be an influx of, um, of state revenue. So we have the money to do it, right? So um, the Republicans, though, passed only $125 million, so $75 million less than proposed by Evers. And they funded it all through borrowing, which which blows my mind because we have so much cash right now that we could afford to do this without taking on more debt. So it's going to end up costing us more in the long term because it's taken on in the form of debt. So, so that's one thing that I'm like, why, why are we not just paying for this right now when we can afford to pay cash for it up front, right? And we would serve more people and in the long run would be better, it's the better financial decision. So that's number one, missed opportunity, huge missed opportunity when it comes to broadband. And the second thing is, because I'm the healthcare director, I can't not talk about it. This budget doesn't, Republican budget doesn't uh, do anything to help us make healthcare more affordable for working Wisconsinites. Um, and it doesn't help do anything to bring down the cost of prescription drugs. Um, Governor Evers' proposal would have created a prescription drug affordability office and board in the insurance commissioner's office that would have helped combat price gouging by greedy pharmaceutical companies. Republicans, of course, took that out because they are more interested in protecting these corporations than, Amer uh, than the Wisconsinites' health. Um, and obviously, it doesn't do anything around uh, badger care expansion when, yet again, it was not only the financially right thing to do, um, but the right thing for the health of Wisconsinites to, to continue to get us through this pandemic and beyond. So there you go. That's another thing that's in the budget that's bad and another thing that's not in the budget that would have been good. Uh, Robert. One quick follow-up on broadband. Um, our movement organizing director at Citizen Action, Kate Beaton, did a preliminary analysis. In addition to what Claire said, it's less money and it's borrowed on the state credit card. Uh, it's not does not go to the areas that don't have broadband. Those are areas that the telecom companies don't want to go to because they're not profitable. So it also functions pretty much as a just a giveaway to the telecom companies. So it's not like what is being proposed by President Biden, which is universal broadband. And what uh, Evers's budget said is, if there aren't telecom companies there, we will enable it to be done publicly through co-ops like Vernon County does already. And but it was outlawed by the legislature uh, about. 10, 15 years ago, that's still on the books. So a county that doesn't have broadband can't even do it themselves and create their own co-op. And they left it that way because they don't care about broadband. They care about subsidizing their corporate benefactors. And with that, um, there will be more to discuss. We'll, we'll talk next week more about the state budget, probably uh, by the time we record. Uh, Governor Evers will have... Uh, made decisions. I think it's pretty safe to say 
Uh, there will be significant line item vetoes if there isn't an outright veto. I think we're probably all in agreement here. We do not expect at this point, even though we believe this uh, budget ought to be vetoed and for all the reasons laid out that that probably is uh, not likely to happen. So we'll talk more next week uh, about this as this uh, budget uh, moves forward. Before we go to break, just wanted uh, our listeners to make sure you're aware. And if you haven't had a chance, we'll put a link to the letter from Senator Kapenga. Uh, he has uh, wrote a letter to President Trump in response to uh, 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 them being upset that he wasn't 100% loyal uh, to them. But this letter, Robert, I want to quick get your thoughts before we go to break. It just it just reeks of the power of Trump within the party. Uh, it, it's almost like a Stockholm syndrome letter. Your thoughts, Robert, before we go to break. Well, Rob Kapanga is as right wing as you can imagine. And so this is the difficulty. They have a party that's rich, like the madness of King George, the madness of King Donald. And they didn't get the memo that you have to do crazy stuff like the Arizona audit with the cyber ninjas and every other weird thing that's happening there in order to meet the, the Mad King's criterion. And so he bashed the Republican Party. There was a brief uh, effort, it looked like, to depose Boss, Robin Voss over it. There are people in this caucus that want to go all Arizona. And then Kapanga was called out, and he's a big Trumpy guy, so in a, in, a, in a very red area of the state. And so he came out with this uh, letter of apology, like on bended knee, where he talked about Trump having the having lightning bolt, like Thor-like lightning bolts and other such things. This is that what they wanted. They, they have all hitched their wagon to this and to the, 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 the constituency of Fox News and Newsmax and all the rest that follow this. And now they are along for the ride. And you know what? It ain't going to work out for all of them because it takes one feeling of, 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 of it, one, if, if, the, if, the, if the mad king turns on you, your political career is over. Well, and with that, we're going to take a break and we'll talk about that dynamic as it relates to Senator Johnson. When we get back, you're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Before break, we were talking about the power of Trump and how it uh, produces quite comical letters (laughs) from, uh, from Senator Kapanga, but really... The important point here is Trump, this is now the party of Trump. Um, And Robert, you mentioned there's already been efforts to uh, overthrow uh, Robin Voss. And uh, this may help explain, we've talked about this before, uh, Ron Johnson's behavior. I mean, Ron's always been odd. He's always been conservative. He used the Tea Party to help get elected. But even now, it's hard to explain this past year other than This is now the party of Trump, and he is definitely doubling down on going after that base in order to get reelected. Robert, your thoughts? Well, we have a party that is trying to hold on to minority rule, so acting in in, in, to try to uh, you know curb democracy in every which way. But uh, the Mad King, King Donald, will not give up on 2020 and the big lie. And so and they're trying to generate new Arizona audits everywhere. And so it's really hard for Republicans to stay ahead of this. You know, uh, former uh, House Speaker Boehner couldn't. 
and uh, neither could Paul Ryan. The only uh, establishment de- Republican who succeeded is Mitch McConnell by giving them judge after judge. Uh, but uh, but this is the problem. The Rep- Republican Party in Wisconsin is tied to this constituency, which is revved up by propaganda every every night. I mean, in fact, if you want to really see propaganda and fascist iconography, watch the Trump appearance on the Sean Hattie show Wednesday night, live appearance with an audience. It's unbelievable. And so they're, they're stuck. And most of them are going to get burned. In other words, this is all what they wanted for their political careers. They have to get crazy like Ron Johnson. And Ron Johnson stepped up to the plate. He, he's full out. He started out with a lot of science denial, with climate denial, a lot of other denials, mask denial. Now he's trying to undermine the vaccine at a time we need it tremendously as the Delta variant gained steam and held a press conference in Milwaukee, a shameful press conference with people claiming uh, that they had been harmed by the vaccine. You know what? There are a few people who may be, it's a tiny portion. Maybe Ron should have some press conferences about all those pharmaceutical drugs that are advertised on TV every day because if you heard the list of possible side effects to every one of these, as happy people live their lives in these ads, this is a very safe vaccine and this is dangerous and this is killing people. And that's why Johnson may be Trump's best friend in Congress right now, which is quite a feat. Claire, I wanted to turn to you on this because I know you were involved in helping try to work around, work and organize uh, against what Ron was trying to do on Monday. This is super damaging at a time when we need folks to be improving our vaccination rates to have him do this. Could you speak to that specifically uh, with your background and experience? Absolutely. Um, obviously, uh, you know, to sort of link this back to Robert's comments on President Trump's legacy, uh, one of Trump's legacies is a um, sort of spreading of disbelief in science, and not just as it relates to um, the vaccine, but as it relates to uh, climate change and um, as a the way it relates to economic theory, just just in general, um, uh, you know, dis- disbelieving in science and um, proven research. And uh, this is just the latest iteration of that. And and let's be clear. I mean, Ron Johnson has been. Um, has been wrong for Wisconsin for long before um, President Trump was elected. Um, so it's it should not be a surprise to any of us that he has just thrown himself, um, you know, wholeheartedly into the um, sort of Trump camp and is standing with Trump in these um, attacks on on the vaccine. Um, I do I do think it's. Uh, positive that people are um, calling him out on this and that the the media isn't covering these press conferences as if they are legitimate news um, and instead are um, appropriately labeling him, I think, as the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel said, which like, let's be clear, this is not a liberal leading newspaper, right? Like this is a newspaper that endorsed Scott Walker throughout his entire career. as you know, one of the most harmful, perhaps the most harmful politician for from Wisconsin since uh, Joe McCarthy in the 1950s. So, uh, so I, I'm glad that people are are stepping up to call out Ron Johnson for his for his harmful um, and dangerous uh, messages. Um, but I'm also not surprised uh, at all that that Johnson is doing this. Um, 
but when it comes to the vaccine, I wanted to say that this comes at a particularly um, dangerous time in Wisconsin where um, the sort of curve on vaccines um, and how quickly we're getting them out is beginning to flatten since the people who were um, eager to get mm. the vaccines have mostly um, received them already. Um, and the people who are hesitant to get the vaccine and people who live in areas of the state where it's harder to get vaccines to them or who live lives that make it harder for them to take off to get a vaccine, right? Like if you're working two or three jobs, for example, um, that it's harder to reach those people and it's gonna take more work to reach them. And so, um, you know, planting seeds of doubt in the public's mind about the vaccine is particularly challenging right now, especially when paired with the fact that the Delta variant of COVID-19 um, continues to spread throughout the country, um, will continue to spread in Wisconsin, and it is a uh, much more highly contagious and easily spreading um, variation of the virus than early ones. Um, so we, we need to continue to be on guard in our uh, own personal behavior, but also in the method we're putting out to um, the public. And with that, Robert, I don't know if you have any final thoughts on uh, Ron Johnson or uh, vaccinations. Couple. Yep. A couple of quick summary thoughts. WHO is now proposing, contra our own CDC, that people even vaccinate people wearing masks in public places in Los Angeles is mandating that. So it's really going to get you that again. And, and, and Senator Johnson is adding to it. Number two, remember that corporate America invented the science denial for its own benefits. Smoking is good for you. Lead paint, lead pipes are good for you. There is no climate change. And so they're just building off that. Corporate America and, and PFAS aren't a problem, you, you name it, just to, in order to get quick profit and increase shareholder price and cash out. Uh, but then just remember uh, that Ron Johnson has a base strategy here, Ron, that, that Donald Trump overperformed polls by eight points in Wisconsin by turning out voters no one modeled or expected. And he is a real threat to win re-election in Wisconsin. Uh, with a fully based strategy, especially if our candidate is not exciting and can't mobilize a base, can't mobilize young people, uh, particularly young black and brown people who feel like they have no opportunity. Uh, and if we run a, a Democratic candidate who runs as a boring centrist, Ron Johnson will be reelected, in my opinion. Well, before we go to our next break, Robert, I actually wanted to give you an opportunity uh, to talk about a campaign that we've been working on uh, with a number of faith-based organizations around the state uh, through the Wisdom Network uh, to end child poverty. But it's sort of starting to relaunch and there's a few events next week that I wanted to give an opportunity to let our listeners know about what the campaign is, but then again, what's happening next week. So with our partners, Wisdom, Wisconsin Council of Churches and Kids for Kids Forward, we did a and child poverty campaign to ultimately eliminate it, but cut it in half and cut racial disparities in half over 10 years and had about a three-year campaign, a lot of work in congregations across the state. It kind of ran to a dead end in the early Evers administration because we couldn't get the governor to champion it. But now that we have a child tax credit that's part of the American Rescue Plan, which actually cut child poverty by an amazing 40%, probably the greatest uh, economic accomplishment since the 1960s, that is temporary and an administration that wants to make it permanent, we are participating in relaunching the End Child Poverty Campaign in a day of action on July 8th, which is a national day of action, strongly supported by 
progressives across this country and the Biden administration and progressives in Congress. And so we are going to do events in four cities, Milwaukee, July 8th at 10 a.m. in Gordon Park, Eau Claire the next day, July 9th at 10 a.m. at the First Presbyterian Church at the parking lot. And we will have events in Appleton and Madison, locations to be determined uh, Appleton at 2 p.m. on July 8th and Madison at 2 p.m. on July 8th. And I'll be at three of the locations, so I'll hopefully see a lot of our listeners around the state. And we have other partners joining us, national partners and partners like Community Advocates, Public Policy Institute. So uh, anyway, this is a relaunch to something, that really a huge advance that we can keep. And I think it, Matt and Claire, starts to focus up on all the things we can get done at the federal level right now, now that the state budget is done. And one of them is a direct workaround of states who refuse to take the extra Medicaid money, including Wisconsin. So there's a number of things we can do at the federal level, and it's all going to come down to the infrastructure debate, which is going to occur from now until the early fall. And so you'll be hearing more about the federal level from us as the state moves into election mode and nothing really moves of any importance in the legislature after the budget is signed. And with that, folks, we're going to take our final break. And when we come back from break, we're really fortunate uh, to be, we're going to be joined by Angela Lang from Black Leaders Organizing for Communities uh, to talk about uh, their effort to actually uh, deal with police and how we can make sure that everybody can feel safe. Uh, and they had a press conference yesterday that we're going to hear more about, uh, but we got to take a break. We'll be joined by Angela right after these messages. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin, where Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Again, we are joined by Angela Lang. Angela is the Executive Director of Black Leaders Organizing Communities. Angela, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Well, it, look, your organization has been doing amazing work about trying to really center uh, this huge issue that's been playing out nationally around how do we actually make sure that everyone's safe and deal with the fact that we have policing that uh, is not safe for everybody. And uh, your organization yesterday held a press conference and had a letter we were happy to sign on uh, calling for an executive commission to actually start to address this. And so I want to give you an opportunity to talk about that, but then also talk about what has passed and what has have a conversation about what has passed in the legislature and why it is so insufficient. So uh, with that, Angela, uh, tell us more about what uh, Block is trying to do here on this critical issue. Yeah, about a, a month or so ago um, is really when we kind of started this campaign. Uh, we started with a press conference outside of our office um, after the, the speaker's task force bills, um, Robin Voss had a task force um, on racial disparities, which um, rightfully so, a lot of us were skeptical from the beginning, um, but we wanted to give it a chance. And then unfortunately through that process, we saw that there were leaked emails, they called the task force a political loser. It was very clear our suspicions um, were right and that people didn't enter into this process in good faith. And so then we see the list of recommendations that come out of it and uh, they were just woefully inadequate. They were things like, let's put the use of force policy online. Let's give more money to police officers for things like body cams when body cams don't actually 
prevent crime. They just capture them on, on camera um, and a lot of times don't even actually do a lot. Um, and so we were really disappointed and we wanted to push back on those bills. Uh, we knew the political dynamics of having a Democrat, you know, Sheila Stubbs as co-chair. We knew it was going to get a little tricky. Uh, so we typically don't even do work in the legislature because we know the dynamics. Um, but it was it felt it was important for us to make sure that we were um, engaging with Democratic legislators as well. And, you know, some of the feedback that we were hearing was, well, something's better than nothing. Yeah, these bills aren't the greatest, but let's just get something passed. And we held a press conference a month ago outside of our office and we said, no, do better. We deserve better. We don't even want these scraps of bills. Um, and who knows if we'll even get another shot at this. So go back to the drawing board and have a broader conversation. Uh, so we have been, you know, trying to talk to some Dems. We try to talk to the governor to get folks to... Um, to, to not vote for these bills. And what we saw when they were being debated is that people were split on them. There were some people that thought they were good and they were a good step forward. Um, and there were people like Representative Brostoff and Bowen that gave really passionate speeches about why these bills don't go far enough. And so um, ultimately those bills ended up passing and the governor signed them last week, actually, um, kind of by surprise. Even though we knew he was gonna sign them, he uh, posted on Twitter, he intended to sign them. Uh, but we definitely thought we had maybe another week or so before he were to sign them to try and organize, try to get him to change his mind. Um, and the whole time we had been asking and saying, look, if you have to sign them, um, how do we keep the conversation going? We want another process, one that is fair. And so we came up with the idea for an executive commission. Um, and that's what we're continuing to push for. All of the challenges that we saw from the initial task force goes to show that it was not a fair process. So we're calling um, on Governor Evers. We said yesterday at our press conference, everyone has homework to do. It's not just the governor. You know, the governor can call an executive commission. We're asking that it has no law enforcement, either former or current law enforcement, no elected officials, both of which who got their say in the original task force, you know, police supported the, um, the recommendations that came out of it that goes to show um, that we still have work to do. And so what does it look like to have a space where it is just community members um, without elected officials, you know, politicking and not, you know, police officers having their own agenda? What does it look like to really just center a community driven process to truly keep this conversation going? And so we've been able to partner. It's been really great being able to work with the People's Revolution on this project um, the last month or so. And then representatives uh, David Bowen and Francesca Hong have introduced an Enough is Enough package. And it's a series of about a dozen bills. Um, and it goes into things like having a special prosecutor instead of having the DA decide if they should charge someone um, due to a, a police shooting. It uh, eliminates this, this concept of warrior style training that so many police officers get. And then it also um, invests into office um, of violence prevention and preventative measures across the, the state as well. And so, like we said, the governor has homework. He can create this executive commission to provide a space to continue to talk about solutions that's community-centered. And then the legislature has work to do as well. And they um, are hopefully tasked with being able to pass the enough is enough package. Claire, first question. Yeah, this is um, really, not just really important work, but I think really interesting work. I think it is so smart um, how you and your coalition have gone about taking on sort of a two-pronged um, sort of like policy reform um, path, right? So you have this thing that 
that could be done administratively and then pairing it with this packet of legislation. Um, I think that's uh, super, super interesting and uh, like really, really smart policy advocacy. I'm curious if you've, um, since rolling out your ask of the governor for, for his action in particular following signing this legislation, if you've had any sort of response or reaction from um, his and his team yet with any indication about if they're considering this or if they're open to it um, or, or, you know, do we, do we need to, um, you know, really ramp up the pressure to try to, to try to get a reaction from them? Yeah, so we've been in communication uh, with his team for a while now, actually, probably since day one about some of these bills. Um, and, you know, I think there is an opportunity. I definitely think that there's an opening um, to be able to uh, have the governor do that, um, but it hasn't been done yet. And so that's why we continue to try and, and ramp up that pressure. Um, in addition to our press conference yesterday, we took out a full page ad in the journal Sentinel um, that published the letter. Um, and unfortunately, because we needed to get it in in a certain amount of time, we weren't able to publish all the organizations, but we hand delivered that same letter to the governor's office. Um, and we had almost 30 organizations being able to sign on. Um, and so I think, you know, there's a ask and I think there's a lot of um, I think there's people see how powerful yesterday was and seeing that it's more than just block in the people's revolution. Um, it's you all, it's fair Wisconsin, it's, it's G safe. It's the Wisconsin coalition against sexual assault. You know, there's all these different organizations who people may not automatically think that this is their lane or why do they care? And I think that that does something. And I think we want to be able to continue uh, to ramp up the pressure. But, you know, what was said yesterday at the press conference is that asking for an executive commission is not asking for a lot. You know, we're not asking him to single-handedly defund the police. We just say, hey, look, we want another process. That's all we want. It's up to us to organize what comes out of that process. That is our job. But we really just want another fair process. So I'm I'm hopeful that yesterday, you know, he saw everything that we did. I posted it on Facebook. I was like, listen, we started the day with a full page ad. We had this press conference. There is this beautiful, you know, video that came out um, from Bowen and Francesca Hong about their package. And so we did, you know, all these different angles and all these different pressure points yesterday. That I feel like it's kind of hard to ignore at that point. Um, and you know, if you watch the press conference, and it's a, it's fairly long, it's about an hour, but I I believe it is truly worth watching on our Facebook page um, because the speeches are so powerful. And honestly, if people aren't moved to action, uh, given what we all did yesterday and all that we heard and the, the moving um, testimony and the powerful speeches we had, then I, I don't know how much more we got to do. Um, but I do feel that there's an opening, but until it's actually official, until we get that phone call that it's happening, we're going to continue to push. I definitely watched uh, yesterday and I would agree, folks. Uh, we'll have a link to it. Listen uh, to uh, the event yesterday. Great speeches. Um, Robert, you get next question. Yeah. Uh, hi, Angela. Thanks for joining us and thanks for what you're doing, what Block is doing. So, and we only have three minutes left, so I, I give you, I'm going to ask you a big question, but be aware you probably won't be able to, <laughs> to give all of your thoughts on it. It just seems like there's a disagreement between movement progressives and kind of more establishment Democrats over what constitutes a good deal. I mean, we certainly think that sometimes you need stepping stones to get to the full reform you need, like lowering the Medicare age progressively to get to Medicare for all, for example. Uh, but it seems like uh, there's a disagreement here where they think getting anything is useful, where we would say on, on the issues we work on, 
that giving the Republicans a victory on something that's not really a step forward and in many ways a step back actually takes away the issue altogether and, and disempowers all the folks who have been organizing really for over a decade, but more visible to a lot of folks since the uh, unprecedented social movement that came from the police murder of George Floyd. So uh, do you have a sense that just they just feel like they, that we should just get everything and we shouldn't make a clear distinction when, in fact, the only way to organize is to have clear distinctions about what is, a, what is progress and what isn't and who is for it and who's against it? Yeah, this is a really good question. And also, I think the source of my frustration over the last month is, you know, again, we typically don't work um, on legislative issues, given the political landscape, right? Um, and this is the first time that we are because we knew that Dems were split. And it's, it's unfortunate, um, you know, a lot of us organizers and activists, we're like, Dems are getting played, you know, they get a chance to say, look, we got a victory um, while, you know, or um, I'm sorry, Republicans get a chance to, to say that they get a victory while Democrats basically handed them that. Um, and, and I want to acknowledge again that there are people, not everybody was on board with that. And there are people that are pushing for more, but I think it, it's a it's a broader symptom of um, what Dems do when they're in power and how they organize. We're seeing that on a federal level. Um, you know, we said that we were going to do all these things when we're in power and then we're still struggling to do those things. Um, and then even how Dems work um, within the confines of not having power and still being able to say, you know what, I understand that things may not go the way we want, but I'm still going to speak truth to power. I'm still going to push for everything that we need. And so I think it's just a broader conversation about how important our progressive um, ecosystem is and how much work we have to do and how it's really important for us to continue to unite together to push for things that are actually substantive and not actually scraps. And with that, Unfortunately, we have to wrap up the show. We will we will have you on again because this is not this is not going away, and we're going to continue to push for this executive commission. Uh, folks, please get involved with Block if you want to work on this or other issues. Uh, they're fantastic, fantastic organizations. Support them, Angela. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. We will talk more about this. We will continue to watch this on the Battleground Wisconsin. But with that, we have to wrap up the show. Again, we want to thank Angela from Block for joining us. And I want to thank our producer, Brian Wildrich, who makes the show happen every week. We will see you all next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin. <laughs>